Today on CXO Talk, we're speaking with David Reber of NVIDIA. We're talking about security in 2023, and especially security in this world of AI in which we live. I come to NVIDIA from a career in uh, the U.S. government in cyber defense, combined with working across Silicon Valley startups and a few other um, areas. Today, I serve as our chief security officer, where I look at how do we protect NVIDIA, our customers, uh, and our people. You have a, a very complex product line, right? You have hardware, you have software, you are deeply entrenched in the AI world. What does that complexity imply or do to to your security posture strategy how 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 does that inform security in my previous roles either i worked for a cloud company so you're focused on cloud services or you work for a software company and you're working on how do you securely deliver software but you didn't have the service element what gets complex here a lot of times is we're doing hardware development hardware bring up that is a different suite of technologies, capabilities, than on top of how do we deliver on software? Then how do we run that and protect our customer data? So what we have to do is look at a very diverse portfolio of build systems, backend systems, um, infrastructure that take different security approaches. We're not able to just go in and say, hey, here's the one solution that's gonna meet all of our developers' needs to be secure. So we have to get creative. We have to innovate different ways to enable all of our employees to help contribute to security of our company and our ecosystem. How do you manage then essentially multiple security solutions falling under this broader umbrella? I take a depth and a breadth approach. So we have experts um, within the, the organization that is security that's trying to set common platforms, common set a suite of capabilities to enable our developer ecosystem. What we then do is we also have security experts distributed within our business units right there the, in the code with our developers, helping them with that specific set of solutions or helping ensure the features are in our hardware, that we're developing it, because they're experts in that domain. But then how do we then share those learnings across our entire virtual security team, we refer to it as here, and helping make sure we share those lessons across all of those different business units so that we can cover depth and breadth in the, the defense. How does AI change your thinking or affect your thinking and your strategy in relation to security or, or data protection? 10 years ago or more, we were a network-centric security model. You set up your perimeter and you would have this ooey-gooey center of your network. Um, over time, what, the, what we've started talking is it's app-centric security. How do you protect those applications? How do you protect what's going on um, in your network? And you, you start protecting against lateral movement. You start protecting against once they're in your network. And, and that's where the, the zero trust primitive started to come alive within, our, within the, the global community. So where the phrase zero trust kind of started coming from, if I don't want to just naturally trust my network. When we look at AI, it's bringing in the different dynamic to really start shifting us to a data-centric security model. At the end of the day, we need to be able to protect data where it is, as it transits, 
and when it's in use. And this is really driving evolutions and innovations um, across how do you do distributed data, distributed security? Um, how do you do it all the way to the edge and devices that you can't tr necessarily trust from a physical access attempt to your edge data centers, to cloud service providers? It's also bringing in a shared responsibility model where you have to trust your vendors. You have to trust your suppliers. You have to start learning how do you trust a cloud service provider to not lose your data. And that brings in then evolutions in confidential computing so we can protect it in processing. Um, but the other thing that we look at with that is that whole data supply chain of that data movement, not just within my organization, but where did it come from? How can I trust it to be able to deliver trustworthy AI? That's really interesting. So that data supply chain then is really part of an ecosystem view of security. It sounds like that ecosystem view is quite central to your strategy and your thinking. It's really become all of us are in this together. We have a common adversary that is the attacker. And the only way that as we continue to evolve, the attackers get keep getting better. Defense has to keep getting better. It's a collective defense. Um, you'll see in major breaches that happen, you'll see in a lot of the publications, it tends to be broad swathing. Every single cloud service provider that has a breach will have impact tens to hundreds, if not thousands of other customers. So it really takes all of us in how do we knowledge, share our knowledge and then have trust in what I'm getting from somebody else. How do you corral an ecosystem of players where each participant has their own set of concerns and their own agenda, and they may not fully align? And so how do you, how do you corral? How do you, how do you herd these cats? It's less about what the objective informed experts in security do every day. It's more about the thousands of employees, every single one of them could be that next entry vehicle for an attacker into this company. Our goal is to figure out how do we give the information to make everybody make informed, secure decisions when they need to the most. Whether it's on the links they click, whether it's looking at that phishing email, the line of code that they're writing, how they're gonna publish and distribute to the customer. Our goal is to figure out how do we get the knowledge from the security teams to those individuals at what we call speed of light at, at the fastest possible ability to deliver that so that feedback loop is quick. It's not easy. We're it's always an innovation conversation of how do we look at what do they need to do, give them that information that we know can help them make a better decision. We also, I mean, you have the standard common platforms of whether it's doing code scanning, whether you're doing malware scanning, whether you're doing audit logging, monitoring, we have those capabilities that we just put in place and enable our diverse ecosystem. But really it's, it is about educating the humans that aren't experts in security, they're experts in their domains, but how do we help them make smart decisions? You mentioned the term innovation. Can you elaborate on that? When you talk about innovation in this, what are you referring to? We need to be creative. One of the things that I've noticed many security organizations is you take a hammer approach, right? They, a lot of companies will say, oh, our security teams, they're the no people. Our goal is to, how do we start with yes and how do we move forward, right? In, innovation is about taking steps towards a mission and, and, and constantly iterating to figure out what that best solution is. So. 
I view our team as how do we help enable the innovation of the company versus stop it because it's not perfect. So that's where when we look at finding innovative techniques, it's, I mean, every day there's a new technology that's coming out and security tooling has to catch up. That's just an industry-wide problem. So rather than waiting for that, how do we help mitigate that, put controls or other aspects around it and make that just automated, make it part of your deployment processes that we can get there and continue to find unique ways. We then contribute back to our security partners, our security vendors um, within the community of, hey, we are learning how to do, say, um, uh, the whole ML ops pipelines. We contribute those back and our learnings back into the community in that collective defense as, as we're learning it. We're dealing with massive data sets that some of these platforms have never dealt with before. And as we solve those problems, how do we just keep everybody moving forward versus looking at that making perfection be the enemy of good enough? How do you think about the distinction between data protection and protecting against breaches? Or for you, are they essentially one and the same ultimately? It's highly interlinked. At the end of the day, you do, as an attacker, as an adversary, your goal is to get information um, or cause harm within those things. But generally, it's around that data. So if I focus on moving to that data-centric security model, um, that allows us to also kind of defend against those breaches. Now, when you look at those strategies, we also look, it's a blast radius question. How do we enable is, if we assume something's gonna happen someday, right? That's just an assumed breach strategy, the industry has moved towards it. How do we make sure that when they get in, we can detect them as fast as we can. We have rapid response capabilities to be able to deal with it. But more importantly, it's how do we make sure that they're, they're limited? It requires them to be noisy as an attacker to go laterally to the next set of data or the next set of data. Um, one of the things we also face a lot is, as, as an ecosystem, we're seeing identity attacks are on the rise. So how do you do those least privileges to enable developers to be innovative, but at the same time, make sure that if they are the, the path in, um, their account is the path in, that that adversary only gets limited access. Subscribe to our newsletter, hit the subscribe button at the top of our website and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It sounds like you have a combination of technology measures combined with education and training for employees and ecosystem participants, because as you said, any one of your employees could be a potential pathway for an attack. It's people, processes, and technology. And many, I see many organizations think it focus on just the technology problem. But when we look at the people through training or real-time inform, information that enable them to make good decisions, um, putting in guardrails. We don't want rigid processes, but you need enough. You need to put guardrails to make sure you're not putting them in harm's way to make a decision. I've been... On, on those interview cycles where you have to talk to the person that made the bad decision and their heart is just dropped that it was their fault or they view it that way. So how do you help make sure you help protect them to make good decisions every single day across people, processes, and technology to enable that innovative culture? What about the AI aspect? You're an AI company. Does that change the nature of how you 
interact with security? It compounds it, is what I, I look at it as, where before, when you're dealing with just development, you're dealing with developers, engineers that are building solutions. Um, as you move more towards data scientists, um, and they, they can get very technical in those domains, but they're not necessarily experts in that underlying networking infrastructure or application infrastructure. Right? They're great at data science. They're great at the tools and extracting that information. So we need to make sure as we have those common platforms that they can focus on what their unique value, that they are good at. Um, and and they, the, the burden of protecting those other parts of that infrastructure are, are taken care of for them. Now, why the unique challenge is when you start talking about data and, and data access, what you're also starting to see is like, you need playgrounds. You need experimental areas for data scientists to work. And then when they generate a model out of the data, and then you start using it in production, well, that entire training environment now has just become part of your production infrastructure. So traditionally, you could separate your dev environments out, but now those training environments are now production. And we have to really focus on securing them against some of the new threats, new novel threats that we're starting to discuss as a community. And we're starting to see, see aspects of it around data poisoning, other things like that that you have to truly start to monitor that you could have isolated off your network. So AI introduces a set, a new set of dynamics inside your environment that security then has to address. Yes, and we start hitting some of the some limitations. When you, I mean, you're talking huge data sets, huge data sets that are required um, in the petabyte range that we wanted to work on. Your traditional security processing tools just can't handle that load. So you have to think about the product, the process, and the technology differently. And as I said before, that blast radius, how do you make sure if, if and when something goes wrong, you contain it to that area within, within your infrastructure and impacts within your products? And where does AI come into play as far as helping you address these issues, narrow that blast radius, or, or help in other ways? I'm a big believer that security is more a data problem than we've realized in the past. Um, the, I mean, the number of servers, systems, everything just is, continues to exponentially grow. You have to be able to monitor across. You can't linear, linearly scale human beings with the alerts and the volumes. You have to work smarter, not harder with it. And really what we try to focus on is looking at let the machine do what the machine is good at. Give that information so you use the human for what the human is good at. And this is where we look at using AI technologies to specifically process through everything, try to highlight those needle in the stack of needle challenges, or just even visualize the data so that, the, the, so that our, our analysts can start looking at different problems. We also, I mean, with the, the, the open AI initiatives, ChatGPT starting to look at, how do you start now using it to ask questions? I mean, when you're doing development work or you're, you're doing a configuration, you're trying to say harden an S3 bucket, the information is on the internet for you to be successful. The question is, how can I get it at the fingertips of exactly in the context of what that individual is trying to do as fast as you can? And that's where we're looking at different ways to be able to have that um, to cyber and non-cyber individuals to get that information to make good decisions. 
So there's a combination of information then. You have general uh, background information that employees need on, for example, how not to be a victim of a phishing attack, for example. But then you need, I would imagine, close to real-time information to give to security folks who are trying to defend against an active, ongoing attack. Correct. It's looking at how do we push it Move security left, shift security left, do it both proactive, but then reactive um, to do that defensive and process all of that telemetry, all of that information that we're getting to, to rise up and filter through the noise. Um, we're also starting to see in that second category um, opportunities for a data, it's a data gravity problem. If we're collecting logs from all around the world, you don't want to ship them all centrally. With a lot of laws that are coming out, you, you can't. You need to keep your, your information regionalized for your customers. So now the question is, how do you do defense across distributed data sets, do that processing, sharing that knowledge, so then your SOC teams, your security experts can truly focus on the real problem? What about issues such as algorithms and transparency and privacy. Does that intersect your work at all? Yes. It's AI until you trust it, and then it's automation. And really, that comes into play as, as well as how do you have transparency that AI is going to do what you need? How do you trust? How do you assert trust to the users of it and drive that, tra that transparency? And that's where we're looking at trustworthy AI, ethics of AI to make sure how do we deliver that, tr that trust, that transparency. And the reason it really intersects that world is it's not just about the data it was trained on and the, the algorithms that were used and that, but it's also the entire underlying infrastructure. Where did all of that data come from? And how did it uh, come through our network? It's an entire, it's a provenance conversation. And those same primitives is what we, what you do for confidential computing is what we do for how you represent that into from as a cloud service provider. How do you enable people to have trust in what you do? And that's where we're looking at that as a, it's a common attestation solution that we can attest, this is what has occurred. And then you as a customer can make your decisions. You can decide based on the information, how does it fit into your risk profile rather than making the decision for the customer. We have an interesting question from Twitter from Arsalan Khan, who is a regular listener. He asks great questions. And Arsalan, I really appreciate your, your watching. And he says this. He says, how do you make sure on a constant, on an ongoing basis, that cybersecurity is on top of mind, but also does not interfere with the day-to-day -day tasks of employee. So if I can rephrase that, how do you make sure that everything is secure, but you don't step in the way of people doing their jobs as they have to do it? Part of our strategy, and I, I constantly mentor our teams and our, our members, is it's you got to look at good customer experience. Um, think about if you go to a story of bad customer experience, you may not go, may not go there again. In, in a cyber world, in IT world, into an engineering world, if you have a bad experience with security, that's where shadow IT starts coming up. It slows everything down. So a lot of what we do is understand what the customer problem is, how do they like to work, and meet them where they are. Sometimes we have to be aggressive and, 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 and move the needle for the organization. 
but a lot of it really is trying to have that dialogue start with here's where we need to secure and how do we work together. You're also seeing a pivot in the industry. We've been doing it for a while is ensuring that your security teams, they, they have either walked a mile in the shoes of the developer or they, they know how to write code. They can write code to help the developer out, be part of the solution. And then you, you create this, this dialogue, you create this relationship with the business leaders. And then what you see is that you see a pivot from, oh, that's security, to, hey, security, how do I make sure I do this right? And it's, it's, that's that pivot, that transaction when you're part of the solution, not just the policy team, not just the team that's telling you, you have to do this, but without an offer of, of help. That's where you'll, you'll see that change. And I mentioned earlier that depth and breadth conversation. We have um, breadth and expertise across the company, but we also distribute security um, individuals, architects, engineers, directly reporting to those engineering teams, those engineering managers, so that they're there on the ground helping and figuring out how do we actually make those steps forward. This point you just made about uh, security needing good customer experience, can you elaborate on that? I've, I've never heard anybody talk about security in quite that way. It's a mentality of, of service. Like you build any product. If your customers don't like it, they're going to go away, right? When we build our developer ecosystems, when we develop our websites, when we develop our, um, our GPUs, we try to create a great experience so that the developer, it's easy for them to use. So taking that mindset and when we build our common platforms, like our code scanning platforms, how do we make sure that you can easily integrate? You have the right documentation. You understand how they're going to go use the product. I don't assume that they have to use us. I assume that they can choose. And when you have that mindset, even as security, when we can say you have to do this, but when you have that mindset, you can change your product so that it's a good experience for what needs to be done. We also um, drink our own champagne within our own security teams, and we're always our first customer. We always focus on how do we use our own technologies to secure the technologies that we're building so that we reduce that developer friction. The point you made earlier about not being the people who always say no, it reminds me of conversations in the past that I've had with CIOs and historically CIOs were the people who said, no, you want to do this? You want this report? You want? No, we can't. We can't do it. So this then is part of your, it, it sounds like it's really foundational to the integration of security as the in, inside the, the culture of NVIDIA and the culture of your, your ecosystem. When you're dealing with new technologies, things that no one has ever done before, we're all learning this together. There's no right answer. Um, when you look at AI, I mean, regulations are coming out around the world. And we're just, we're just in that beginning journey of, well, what do you have to do? How exactly do you need to do it? We don't know, so we're learning together. So that's where when you, when you realize that environment you're in and we're in a learning journey, every question we get, even the most craziest questions that security people get, I can say yes to something. Something in that dialogue, something in what they're trying to do. We can say yes to something. And then we can learn on that journey together. So we know that we can take a risk on 
um, that first step. We can learn and see what's going on. Um, it gives us both as a security team to learn to see what we need to do and the developer to continue to figure out where they're going. And we can, we can take that next step. Now, as the technologies start being defined, it's kind of here's your standard platforms, here's your commonalities. The goal is to make sure you have infrastructure as code, you have those examples right there at the ready, so you don't need to have those conversations again, and you can focus on that next thing. We can all be learning and innovating with the business. There's no reason that we have to be behind in this battle, because at the end of the day, our goal is to help solve the world's hardest problems, and you can't do that if you're not moving forward. Can we jump back to the discussion very specifically around AI and issues such as the governance of AI? Again, how does that kind of topic intersect with your role as the chief security officer? And frankly, why? Why is there an intersection there? That governance, as I said before, is all about trust. How do I trust the data the model was trained on, the algorithm, the infrastructure that it was trained on, the source of where the data came from, um, who gave it, and then those continuous updates, and then how is it delivered to the customers. When you look at the problem that way, it's nothing really different than a standard CI-CD system, right? a dev DevOps pipeline. Now we're just talking about the data pipeline. So we, as a security team, we may not be experts in the specific ethics of a given model. Like there's domain experts in all of that, but they're not domain experts in how do you do that data supply chain. That's where we have that intersection and we come together so I can talk with those experts in, in ethics, those experts in law, those experts in that domain area to figure out what, what information do you need to guarantee is trustworthy across that entire supply chain. And then what we do is, from a security team is figure out how do we then architect that data supply chain all the way up into our vendors, into our contract requirements for them, into the security controls that they need to, need to implement so that this way they can trust that the data that they're getting is accurate. So that's where that intersection comes into. And we, we are heavily involved in that formation as trustworthy AI, AI, even as a primitive and a concept, really takes form in the ecosystem. What about from the product side? NVIDIA is creating new hardware, software, cloud services all the time. Where, where do you become involved? And again, what is the intersection between product development, product release, and your security team? There's security of the product security in the product that I look at. So of the product is the things that we need to do behind the scenes to make sure we have quality code, um, reduce the bugs in the code, for running the service, how we log and monitoring and protect our running infrastructure and our customers. So our organization and our security teams focus on how do we make sure that we do everything that needs to be behind the scenes. Then what we need to do is that translation from of the product to in the product is, is it's a shared responsibility model. So we have uh, architects and engineers that make sure we're being transparent with our customers of we do this for you, and here's the features that we've put into our services or our product that enable you to do secure workloads with what we're providing. And you're responsible for monitoring it, just like any cloud service provider uh, does that. To start, here's your feature, here's your logging feature, 
so that you can then monitor your use. Because in a collective defense world, I don't know what is a good user or bad user for their, our customers. I want to enable them with all the information that they need to be successful while we protect what we need to protect at our layers. So as a product security organization, um, that's where we look at both how do we harden what we need to control and monitor, clearly articulating that trust model of what our customers do and what we need to do, in addition to architecting those features, because we use our own products. So when we use our own products, we have to secure their use as well. So that's where we need to make sure that we're building the right things into that software and hardware to enable that collective defense. At what point in the product development life cycle does security start to become a foundational issue on par with core product features, say? The goal is always from the beginning. So we we do get involved with the product definitions and the product teams. We we have a we always look for what, what's the first customer or who deeply understanding our customers' problem sets. What compliance do they need? What features do they have to be able to protect their workload? And that goes into the product definition. From there, we then integrate through the entire life cycle from design um, all the way to development to operations and in, all the way until it's retired um, as, as a product and it's an, out of support. So we look, we look at it across and it's a, it's a variety of techniques that we do, both from a central security organization all the way to those distributed architects and engineers that we have across the company that specialize in that product or that domain is how do we look at the problem set. So we're defining the right product, building the right product, operating that right product, and then how we're transparent if we have to do updates, if there's bugs, if there's security vulnerabilities, and communicate that to the customers. We have questions stacking up on Twitter, and I love taking questions from Twitter. Like the you guys in the audience, you guys are marvelous. So why don't we do that? And the first question comes from Elizabeth Shaw, who says, and you kind of touched on this earlier, David. She says, "How do today's AI platforms, techniques, and technologies change the nature of both cyber attacks and defense?" It's accelerating both. The attackers generally have had, their disadvantage has been scale. How do I scale customizations to those companies? With the OpenAI and ChatGPT, you're starting to be able to do, create phishing emails that really read very effective. So there, it's accelerating at machine scale the ability to customize attack vectors to organizations. And as I, I talked earlier, though, about the defense side, it's how do we process the data, look at the data, how do we make sure that the machine is doing what they're best at so that the, they can give information to the defenders. Arsalan Khan comes back and he says, since AI is, a, is the future and it relies on data and algorithms, how do we, and he says this, normal, mortal, non-technology people Make sure that data and algorithms don't have biases since decisions might be based on AI suggestion. And thank you, Arsalan, for asking that. When we look at trustworthy AI, it's a, our goal is transparency. How do you give transparency into how it was trained? What do we know about it? So as experts that have pre-trained the models, what do we know? Where do we know it? And present that information um, so that you can make your decisions. Um, that combined with constant testing, constant feedback, and making that knowledge known 
versus an opaque box that you don't know what's behind the scenes there. Because some of those 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 biases in the models, as long as you know what it's telling you when you hand it off to a human, you can make decisions with that information and knowledge. So when you know it's there, you can work to make it better. And collectively, we can work to make it better. I yesterday had my account uh, an account at a, at a major technology company, and I won't say who it is, suspended because the AI system said that that I did there was some some problem. I did something wrong. And it's an account that's very important to me in how I conduct my daily activities and business affairs. There was no way for me to get to a human person. And fortunately, I know enough people, so I was able to like get it through the back end get it taken care of by evening the account was restored but what do we do about essentially autonomous algorithmic data driven systems that make decisions that affect our lives and there's no person at the other end to help us rectify mistakes i mean we can easily think of consequences in in every sphere of life any any quick thoughts on that it's a deep topic and i'm asking you for quick thoughts it's a common problem where you've created a system that can really help you do your job better today, but you don't wrap around that feedback loop, that customer service, or the features within the product to help come together. What I see in a lot of different cloud services, so account lockouts and stuff, what the, what's doing is they're trying to protect you, trying to protect them as a first priority. Their possible second and the next priorities are how do we give you the data as quick as possible to say, this is why? Because that's what they don't. That's why you need the human. Why? What happened? And then how can you give the information back in a trustworthy way so that it can hopefully automate it, uh, unlock? And that's a d dynamic because attackers use social engineering all the time. They're going to try to exploit even that part of the process. And you have to get that human in the loop. So what we do even in, internally for some of the systems and like the, the cyber AI options and vendor products to be able to identify geographical improbable logins is how do we have that great feedback loop and customer experience with our SOC, with our help desk, so you can resolve the situation as fast as possible. We have another question from Twitter. This is from Gus Bektash who says, the fundamental dilemma of cybersecurity is that the cost and inconvenience is certain are certain and immediate, but the benefits are delayed and uncertain. Can AI help with that? The traditional model of security in organizations is, is it's an insurance policy. How much do we want to invest and what is my uh, what is the responsiveness of it? I think what we're seeing starts of in AI and different products, especially in the, in the cyber world, is how do you help better inform where you should do your investment? You have attack surface management tools that are out there. You have, um, you're starting to see more, more in intelligent tools that start looking is, is this vulnerability exploitable? And really, I think that's those initial investments that I'm very curious to see how we can progress this year, next year, and, and forward of vulnerabilities come out in thousands of things in your enterprise every day. How do you know which ones are exploitable? How do you know where to do those most that most investment? So back to the putting the the decision maker information in the hands of the decision maker, people patching your networks. How do you help them rather than looking at hundreds of CVEs that are missing patches, but be able to focus on 
but these are the three that have the highest probability within your network environment and context to be successful. And it's, it's that balance for how do you do those investments, but in additionally, how do you change the culture so that it is less of an insurance policy, but an enabler of shared defense between you and your customers. It is a product um, value with it, and that's where you also look at those investments. There are so many security breaches that are out there. How how does that happen? I mean, this seems like like companies invest money in security, then they get attacked, and you know millions of names are released, and then they say, "Well, oh, you know, we're going to do a better job. We're going to invest more." But how? Why? How does that happen? To the to the layman outsider, it just seems to make no sense. The defense is always at a disadvantage. The attacker has to be right once. We have to be right every time. And when you're dealing with organizations with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, all it takes is one. It takes one human, one bad technology decision um, to go. So when you actually look at most of the major breaches, they generally are not that sophisticated. They're not using these fancy exploits um, to, to go after the big high profile ones. It's simple, somebody clicked on the wrong link or somebody pressed the multi-factor that they shouldn't have. And now they're in as the human because the, the goal of the attacker is to become someone on the network and then they go around. So looking at your question more though, is it, it requires all of us to work together, um, be informative, have relationships, so a lot of times you're now starting to see supply chain attacks. So one company gets breached, it impacts the next, and now you have a chain reaction. So building those relationships across companies to be able to share information, to reduce the impact to our joint customer base, that's what we need to look, and that's what we need to really invest in as a community so that we can help make it more safe. David, what advice do you have for business leaders in terms of managing security in this rapidly changing world where AI is accelerating everything, as you described earlier? It's a people problem. Start with how is your security organization integrating with your business leaders? How are you making security part of your product portfolio that you make sure that you enable your customers because they're going to ask the questions. So when you start looking at those relationships, push your security organizations to be part of the development solution. That allows this relationship and form. Everyone talks about fixing security culture. It starts with those relationships, understanding both sides and be able to do that. The other thing is I would say is make sure you have a clear supply chain data strategy as we go forward into this new world of AI. That's the new areas of how do you look for, can you trust where everything came from, from software to data, how it moves and how it's delivered to your customers? Make that a priority, starting making that a priority as you evolve into AI. That's interesting. So having a supply chain security strategy is fundamental to successful security today. Correct. And we've seen it in many high profile breaches and issues over the past years, a couple years, it's becoming more and more prevalent across the industry. So understanding your vendors, being able to have those relationships, um, it's important, even if you're not an AI or data company, it's important for what every enterprise does today. And it's only going to compound that 
as the data supply chain continues to increase. And what about the technology? We're, we're just out of time. You've emphasized the people. Where does technology come into play as far as uh, the defenses go? You have your standard technology layers, your standard set of tools. You need to continue to invest. AI is not going to replace a good foundation. By having a good foundation for your common security controls from auditing to monitoring to hardening to lockdowns, all of that is there. Technology then over time is going to be able to continue to make us be able to analyze all of that data is coming in to make more rapid decisions. As I started off, right, the it's about getting the information in the hands of people that make the decision every day. Technology is going to help us solve that problem. Understand what they're doing and what's the best option and least risk options and how do they get that in near real time. That's where technology is going to help us. Okay, and with that, we're out of time. A huge thank you to David Reber of NVIDIA. David, thank you so much for taking your time and sharing your expertise with us today. Absolutely, it was a great conversation. Thank you for having me today. And a huge thank you to everybody who watched. Now, before you go, subscribe to our newsletter. Hit the subscribe button at the top of our website and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out CXOTalk.com. We actually have amazing shows coming up and you can participate live. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time.